Good morning, Conduit. How are you? My name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Conduit. And uh, whether this is your, uh, you know, 300th time here or whether this is your first time here, we we say welcome home. And we hope that you uh, can find a comfortable place to uh, become a part of this family here. We've been praying for you. We, um, we consistently and constantly are praying both for you, whom we have known for a long time, and those that we are just meeting for the first time. So, um, there, um, you know, I'm kind of doing a, a mixture of announcements this morning and also uh, starting our new series. So, if you allow me, like, to kind of mix and match um, both of those. So, uh, this past Wednesday, is a holiday in kind of like the, I guess you call it the church year or the church calendar called Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday is typically and traditionally um, the day that signifies the beginning of a season that we call Lent, L-E-N-T. And that season is 40 days of um, spiritual, emotional, physical preparation for the celebration of Easter Sunday, which for us is going to be in April. I think it's April 16th or something like that. 17th this year. Um, and so the Lenten season is, is marked by many different themes or can be marked with many different themes. But the theme that marks the beginning of the Lenten season on Ash Wednesday is a theme um, we have. We kind of left some of the things up that we used for the service here, um, but we have ashes here. We have some anointing oil, and of course, we have um, the cup, and uh, we have uh, a cup and bread that we're going to celebrate communion with uh, this morning. But um, using these symbols here to kind of begin, uh, help us to both conceptualize and help. Help use symbols. The Lord uses symbols all the time, right, to communicate to us. Um, help to use help use these symbols to help mark and communicate the beginning of a season of preparation, preparation of our hearts, preparation of our lives, and an opportunity for us to make intentional decisions to say, okay, in the busyness of the rest of life and in the chaos of the rest of life where where life just kind of ever, you ever I'm sure you've experienced this where you feel like life just kind of happens to you rather than you being able to like feel like you can take like an intentional approach to life where you're making decisions about like the next steps that you're taking rather than just like responding reactively to the chaos of the schedule or the world around you, like that's the way that I feel. And so the Lenten season is an opportunity for you and I, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of that season, marks an opportunity for you and I to say, okay, can we make, can we make some intentionally different decisions about the rhythms and patterns of our lives in the next 40 days in an effort and in the, and in the, in the, sincere, in the sincere and, and certain hope that the intentional effort of growing in intentionality in our relationship with God will transform 
parts of who we are so that we're able to carry those transformed parts with us into longer seasons of life. Because that certainly should be the goal, right? That we don't, we don't want to pursue transformation for little bits and spurts, right? Well, yeah, I made, I made, I made big changes or like made significant growth in my relationship with Jesus in this 40-day period, but man, I'm glad that's over so I can go back to the way life was before. Uh, and maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at right now, and that's okay if that's where you're at. Right? My, I'm, I'm trusting and praying that the Lord would impress upon your heart what He wants to do in your life so that after the 40 days are over, even after these moments are over, you carry with you a Holy Spirit-birthed desire to pursue God more closely, more with more intentionality, with more with more purpose. Okay? The theme that we celebrated on Ash Wednesday was a theme of mourning, was a theme of sadness, was a, was a theme of weeping. We often see in Scripture that people that they they uh, it says they weep and they tear their clothes, and they throw ashes on their head, right? Because it, it becomes a sign of, like, it becomes an outward outward sign of an inward, like, emotional, mental, spiritual, spiritual trajectory of, like, I, I, am, I am broken, I am sad, I am in, like, I am in, I am in spiritual and emotional disarray because of, because of what my what what sin has done in my life and i and i now put myself in this they would put themselves in little literal like physical postures of mourning and sadness well, by ripping their clothes and putting ashes on their heads so that the whole world knew hey look i'm not i'm not playing a game i'm not trying to i'm not trying to look like and pretend like i am something that i am not like my my life is in shambles and Lord, I need you to respond. And so, your life may or may not actually be in shambles, right, in this season. Um, you may not be feeling like you need to literally rip your clothes and throw ashes on your head. Right? But you may also be recognizing that there is a significant portion of who you are in here that has not fully, maybe in this season or ever in your life, fully come to a place of like reckoning your sin or addressing your spiritual condition and coming into a place of like seeing it for what it actually is, causing brokenness and destruction and pain and hurt in your life. This season of Lent, right? That's the, this season of Lent, our prayer is that, is that we, we, be, we maybe begin there, but we don't stay there, right? Like we don't, we don't look at our sin and see our sin and stay there in a pile of heaping shame about it. But that we 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 see that moment for what it, what it is an opportunity to turn 
towards our Savior Jesus to receive the forgiveness that He has offered to us by His grace and then to walk in new relation, walk in relationship with Him, relationship that leads us from a place of being spiritually destitute to a place of being spiritually alive. And so, um, our hope is that you, you seize an opportunity in this season here from now until Easter, of course, that you seize an opportunity to intentionally pursue transformed living with Jesus. And so the, the theme of our, like our Lenten series is, um, is holy disruption. We're going to be looking at, some of the, looking at some of the ways in the Gospels that Jesus seemed to like slam into people's lives in such a way that it like disrupted something. Because often what is necessary for, um, for there to be like movement where there hasn't been movement in our hearts before is that there needs to be like a major disruption to the system. You know, I um, read a story about how when the, our nation was being, when our nation was being um, formed, like as, as, as industry was really like booming, right? In the industrial revolution. And um, one of the, one, one of the ways in which they would build big towns and big cities like Jamestown is an excellent example of this. All right. Was once known as the furniture capital of the world, right? Um, and there was a very there was a very significant logging business, uh, logging industry here in the um, in the mid to late 1800s. Okay, and and um, one of the ways that one of the ways that big corporations when they were when they were they would put big sawmills on the edge of large rivers, and then they would cut down timber. And they would throw those timbers, those trees, in rivers, and they would float them in large, large piles down to the sawmills, right? As an easy way to transport logs when there wasn't like big machinery like we have today. Well, sometimes, like you can imagine, you put enough things in the river and it gets like the term log jam comes into mind, right? Everything gets jammed and it just shuts everything down. There's no more progress being made. What do you do in a moment like that? What do you do in a moment where like life has been log jammed emotionally, spiritually, mentally fit like, when life has been log jammed? Well, what did they do? <laughs> they caused a little bit of disruption. And literally what they would do is that they would wire with a large portion of the logs in that river. They would wire them with, you know, dynamite, right? And they would blow them up. Because the explosion was just enough of a disruption in the jam in order to get things flowing again. All right. and, and oftentimes, we need, we need a little bit of an explosion in our lives in order to get things flowing again. And, and, and maybe Lent for you this year, you're recognizing that life is at a little bit of a like 
holy, divine, Jesus-centered disruption, explosion type of thing to get things moving again. That's my prayer. That's our prayer and our hope for you this season. So a few things outside of just Sunday morning that will be offered as opportunities for you, okay? Um, the first is that um, every Sunday um, we'll offer you, um, it's, got, it's a card that looks similar to this. There's a whole stack of them on the table in the foyer right out the front doors. We'll grab maybe another half a stack if someone, maybe Ellen, if you could grab a half a stack and put it next to the offering bucket in case you go out this door, you can grab one of these, right? What is this? What this is, is this is a, um, this is to, yeah, and if someone wants to do me a solid and go ahead and open up all the windows, that would be awesome as well. Like a million degrees in here. Yeah, because it's, it's March. I'm about to start sweating through the shirt, okay? Or not. But feel free to open them up if they, if they open. If they open. <laughs> no, if, we, if, we, if you can't make it open, let's not make it open. But mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have air conditioning. We won't, we won't turn it on yet. <laughs> All right, so what these cards, what these cards have, right, is that these this is for you. All right. I'm not like we don't we don't make stuff like this because we need a few more things to do throughout the week, right? Truthfully and honestly, we make these with we we do stuff like this with intentionality for you so that you can use them in your walk with Jesus. And what this is, is like on one side, it has basically like a, a spiritual practice or like a spiritual discipline that is like parallel in theme to what we're talking about on a Sunday morning so that then you carry what, you know, any experience or anything that you've heard from the Lord on a Sunday morning with you in your spiritual practice practices throughout the week, and you can use this on one side as like kind of an individual guide. It's like we're going to teach you like a certain way in which to like pray through the motivations of your heart this week about like the plans that you have for your own life and maybe like the plans that God has for your life and how to, how to discern between what those things are. All right? So on one side, for your own like personal walk with Jesus, and then on the reverse is we know that, you know, we have a lot of young families here. A lot of you have kids, or maybe you want to take one and share it with your grandkids or a niece or a nephew or someone else that has kids. Feel free to take them. But it's like a way in which that you can kind of use the same spiritual activity for you, but you can use it with your kids on the back. It's like a family guide to that thing if you want to use it in, in that way, Okay. So we have this, and that will be available to you every every week, a new practice every week. The second thing that we're doing is also offering up um, an open time on Tuesdays. It'll be starting, to, uh, starting this coming Tuesday the 8th. An open time on Tuesday to have, to have guided prayer here in the sanctuary 
Um, really, all, all like the sanctuary, the church will be open all day on Tuesdays, but we'll have two opportunities during that day where either a staff member or a ministry leader will be here to lead a, 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 a time of guided prayer where we have specific things we're praying through, specific things that we're asking the Lord to do, specific experiences that you can be involved in while you're here. And, um, and we're, we're, we, we have opened up, we're going to be opening up the sanctuary at 7 a.m. So if you guys want to, if you want to uh, come and pray before you go to work or 7 p.m. after you're done with work or whatever, be, be every Tuesday during the season of Lent um, uh, throughout uh, every Tuesday, 7 a.m., 7 p.m. here. Um, and I hope also that you will, in as much as you're able, choose to utilize those, um, those opportunities as well uh, for, um, during this season. You know, everything in seasons. <clears throat> okay, so... Let's, um, would you pray for us? Just come up here and pray for us, pray for me, and then we'll do the, we'll get into the message for the week. Father, we thank you this day, this beautiful day that you have given us. Another opportunity for us to breathe in your blessing and breathe out your presence. I pray that this day would be a day of honor and worship. And, and submission to you, Lord. Father, I pray over Pastor Cameron that your words would be his words, that you would speak through him uh, everything that you need to convey to each one of our hearts, Father. I thank you for his, his devotion to your word. I thank you for his devotion to the people that you have entrusted under him, each one of us, Father. Bless him and keep him, and let us worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, a divine interruption. What does it look like when Jesus interrupts? When he, when he explodes the log, the log jam of your life? Um, that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we all have, we all have plans. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you, I'm sure that you've heard like kind of offhand jokes about like, um, you know, you, you make all of these plans and you have every like detail of plans laid out, whether it's something like small and insignificant, like a trip you're taking, I think it's going to look like this and, you know, you get a flat tire and then, um, you know, a bunch of like your plans for everything just get completely discombobulated on the way or whether it's like your life decisions like I went to I went to school to do this this was my dream to always do this I was like convinced all my life that this is what I was going to do and then like complete 180 now I'm doing something completely different had no idea this is where I was going to be in life but hey that's just the way it goes like we all make plans we all experience when plans change. And sometimes maybe we wanted those plans to change and sometimes we weren't looking for them to change at all, but our responsiveness, our responsiveness to, to what happens when we have plans in life 
and following Jesus requires something else of us altogether. Um, I want to read to you just a few. We'll start with one passage of Scripture here this morning um, to kind of key in on a few of our points. Matthew chapter 4, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first, the first Gospel in our Bibles, and the, Bibles, uh, our, the Bible is generally broken up into two sections, what we call Old Testament and New Testament. Right? The time Old Testament, the time before Jesus, New Testament, the time Jesus and past. And you the New Testament is generally in the in the back two thirds of your Bible, or the back third of your Bible, I'm sorry. And Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter four, um, verses let's see, eighteen through twenty two. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called to them as well. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed and followed him. Now we're going to talk about some more some more scriptures here as well. Um, uh, similar similar in style where Jesus calls someone and that 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 that, that person, you know, um appears at least to just completely be like oh drop and move right like drop and go like without any consideration for the consequences that that decision would bring upon their life or like maybe the like the inner monologue or like what about what about James and John and Peter and Andrew's fathers who are there be like yo what's going on? like why what what are you what are you doing right um but there is there is a distinctive quality right to what happens or what is required when Jesus calls us to follow him because certainly we see that at the very basis of like the the gospel account this morning is that like Jesus just says to them hey come and follow Come and follow me. Now, I don't know. I don't know um, Peter and Andrews. I don't know James and John, what they felt about fishing. I don't know how they felt about following the family footsteps, about working with their father for the rest of their life. Generally, it was considered to be just the thing that you did, right? You just, you followed in the family industry in family footsteps, there was no really real conception of, you know, I'm going to strike out and kind of do my own thing here. You know, whatever, I know that, that dad and uncle and grandpa, they're all doing this, but I'm going to decide to go out and do that. That generally was not, in the ancient world, a thing that you did. And so, I'm imagining that Andrew, Simon, James, and John had kind of resigned themselves at some point in their lives to being... This is where I'm going to be. 
This is what I'm going to do. This is what my life is going to be like forever. This is just how it is. Now, I don't know what kind of person you are. Like for my wife, she would say that that's a really comforting feeling. Just because you kind of know, right? seems like there's a lot of security there. And you're just like, you can be real consistent and real steady and kind of real safe. Like for her, that'd be like, yeah, we know, great, sounds awesome. For me, that sounds like a death sentence, okay? Because some people really, really embrace and love the excitement of change. And other people, like, it's like chewing crushed glass. Cannot, do not want to do it, even, even consider it, right? Even a little bit, right? Here's the thing. Um, what is really clear is that Jesus, Jesus disrupts our plans to not change. When we are planning to not change, when we are planning to be the way we are forever, this is just who I am and I like it. This is just what my life is like and I'm, I'm good with it. This is just how I feel and I'm not really willing to feel any other way. This is how I think and I'm not really willing to think any other way. This is what this is how I'm this is what I'm going to do and I'm not really willing to entertain anything other than what I have already already decided that this is how I'm going to feel this is what I'm going to think this is how I'm going to work this is what I'm going to do this is how my life is going to be it's settled there it is fine and firm Jesus always disrupts our plans to be like antithetical to change He always is going to disrupt a plan to not change. The times in which we say, this is it, I'm not changing, I'm not moving, I'm not, I'm not growing, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm I'm not growing anything, any further than I am right now. That's the moment in which Jesus comes in is going to be like, I'm just going to go like this right here. Like, I'm just going to disrupt everything in life. And then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're holding this reality that Jesus will disrupt every little place in your life where you're not willing to change. Because when, Je- listen, when Jesus calls you to follow him, he calls you to transformation. There's no concept of Jesus calling you to follow him and remaining the same. It is a it is a call to change. It went from, from, um, from Andrew and Simon and James and John. It went from, from fishing to following. And what's really interesting here is that Jesus, kind of being pretty savvy, really, is that Jesus reorients their perspective on the gifting and talent that they already have. They were fishermen. They knew how to fish, Right? And so what does Jesus tell them? He says, well, you have been fishermen. I'm going to make you now, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, fishers of men, Uh, right? Now, I don't know what their, you know, like what their penchant for the cheesy was, right? But um, 
But essentially what Jesus does is he takes and he reorients the perspective of who he's made them to be by framing what they do know, framing where they are in a way that aligns with his plans for their lives. You were fishing. You get that. You get the idea of like the the pursuit and the chase and the fruit of that and the goal. We're going to switch the perspective now. We're going to change my call to you. My call for you to follow me is going to change your perspective on what you do in life and how you're doing it. He's calling us. Jesus is not, not, um, Jesus is going to disrupt our plans to follow him. Here's a, for, here's a, an example, right? Maybe you own a business. See many of you out there. I know most of you. I know some of you own businesses. Okay. Maybe you own a business, right? And for you owning a business was like maybe a, maybe a, a long held plan, a long held, a long held dream. And you had all of these ideas, right, about all these plans, about how it was going to look and how it was going to function and what its benefits was going to, were going to be and how it was going to provide for you and your family or maybe, maybe others. And maybe now you're getting into it and maybe you're seeing now that Jesus is really beginning to reorient what the plan for that was all of the time. And maybe what Jesus is calling you to do and Jesus is called to follow, follow him was to use your business not as primarily a way to provide for your family or to like create something big, but, but maybe, maybe Jesus is calling you and that transformational following of him is calling you to be an example of what it means and what it looks like to run and own a business that treats its customers, its vendors, its employees with an overwhelming amount of integrity and honesty and honor that you're changing the culture of your industry wherever you live. Or maybe you're, maybe you don't own a business, but maybe you work with people all the time. Be working with people on job sites or in an office or in a school or in a hospital or wherever it could be. Right. And, and when and when we work with people or when we have when we supervise people or we're in charge of people or whatever a lot of times people can become a lot about like numbers and tasks and metrics and like things that must get done and boxes that must be checked and things that we must like accomplish right but maybe what Jesus is calling like maybe the call to follow Jesus or like your ability to follow Jesus is less about completely reorienting your whole business or your whole your whole occupation or your whole industry or anything like that but maybe it's more about just like um showing that relationships even within the business world can be relationships where you are like it just exude just like flood out th- like attributes and characteristics like empathy and kindness and gentleness and understanding. Maybe, maybe you work in an industry that is notoriously cutthroat and rude and angry with every single person, right? And maybe the transformation or call that God is calling you to 
in relationship with Jesus is to be like so complete polar opposite that people can't can't not recognize the difference in like how you're living. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, like when he when he's not he when he disrupts our desire to not change, it's not always changing in the macro. Sometimes it's changing in the micro. Sometimes it's just changing in the perspective and the way in which we look at the things that we're already doing. I'm not looking at this person as someone that I must supervise and keep my thumb on and be really hard on so that they can get better, but maybe I'm looking at this person like as a recipient of God's grace through me, a person who can receive empathy and kindness and gentleness that come from the Lord by like via my relationship with Jesus that changes the whole dynamic of what it means to follow him. One thing that I think is interesting here about like the way in which Jesus calls these guys to follow him is this, is that, and this is another like disruption model, right? That I think that Jesus disrupts our plans to admire him from a distance. <clears throat> I don't know where you are in, I don't know where everyone's relationship with Jesus is or whatever, but sometimes it, we have, we have really, we have really um, specific plans to follow Jesus from about um, a thousand yards away. Like just, over here like that, you know, like peeking over the fence of following Jesus. Something that is like in the undercurrent of the scripture here is what Jesus calls the disciples to do here, what he calls these guys to do. He doesn't come up to them. He doesn't come up to, G- to them, to the four of them. And be like, hey, you know what, guys? I want you to admire me. Like me on social media, please. I want you to just accept me as a significant teacher in the area. Right? Not even. Jesus didn't even say, I want you to obey me. None of those things. Because all of those things can be done from a relative distance. Right? From pretty far away. I can admire you. I can accept you. I can even obey you from a pretty far distance away. Jesus didn't say any of those things. He was not um, he was not going to settle for being followed from a distance. But Jesus said, "Follow me," which disrupts the disciples' plans to express just safe amounts of faith in Jesus. Jesus disrupts our plans to express safe amounts of faith to admire to obey you know like Jesus call for the disciples was to follow them and we can see in the gospels that it required them to actually get close to Jesus to lay down other things that may have been an expression of safety and security and like comfort to them they laid down their 
probably their family relationships, right? They laid down the security of a occupation moving forward. Jesus said, come and follow me. And, and he didn't tell them where they were going or what they would do when they got there, which for you and I is often a really big disqualifier for following, right? Because listen, if Jesus was like, hey, Cameron, I want you to follow me. And let me give you every single detail about where I will take you in life. I'm going to let you know everything that's going to happen. I'm going to let you know every relationship of joy and every relationship of pain. Every circumstance where you totally feel my presence with you and every circumstance where you're asking me where I am. I'm going to tell you all of the things that are going to hurt, and I'm going to tell you all of the things that are going to bring joy, and I'm going to let you all let you know all of the decisions that are going to be difficult to make, and all of the decisions that are going to be easy to make, and I'm going to lay out everything for you. And then you just decide, based on the circumstances, if it's something that you want to do or not. Requires zero trust and zero faith, Right? Now, the only thing that I have to trust is my ability to read comprehensively what's going to happen in my life. But I certainly don't have to trust and express faith in the person that is calling me to follow him. It reminds me a little bit of, I don't know, um, famous movie, Indiana Jones. Raiders of the Lost Ark. One of the best movies ever made, right? Okay. There's that one scene where Indiana Jones is going through, you know, the labyrinth of puzzles and traps and everything like that to get to the place where he can pick the or um pick the cup of the covenant, right? And he he steps up to this what appears to be this giant chasm. And the clues in the book, right, are like, you just got to take that step. You just got to take that, that leap. You got to take that, that step of faith, right? And he's looking, and it was like, what, like, how in the, what do you mean step? It's a giant hole. There's no, I'm going to fall right to the bottom of this giant chasm. It musters up the, musters up the courage, musters up the faith. We don't really know, right? And he just goes out, puts his foot out like this, and it stays there for like five or ten seconds in the movie, and then you see it, and then he just starts to fall forward like he's expecting to fall into the chasm, and what happens? He falls right on a path that is camouflaged from all the other environment around him, but then the camera like switches angles, and you can see the perspective of this path that was always right underneath him, and all that was necessary was for him to trust that it was there. And and following Jesus is a lot like that. Is a willingness to disrupt our plans to express a safe amount of faith. An amount of faith that allows us to view Jesus from a far ways away, but not to actually follow him through the circumstances of life closely enough where we remain proximal to him. One of my favorite um, 
My favorite theologians was a guy that lived around the time of World War II. He was actually um, assassinated, or not assassinated, but persecuted and put to death under the, uh, the Third Reich, the Nazi regime under, um, under Hitler. The guy, a German, a German theologian and philosopher named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he said famously in one, of, um, in one of his main books, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, not the greatest branding or marketing tool, probably. Not something that you want to, not, not the greatest slogan. You know, we can put that under our sign out there, right? Conduit Ministries, come here to die. Right? And while certainly it has strong biblical or spiritual like foundation to that, right? It's not really so easy to nuance that in a simple statement like that, right? Because what he meant, of course, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die, is like, hey, look, when I follow Jesus, there is no safe following. That it requires that it requires that I that I die, of course, to myself. That I that I die to the sin that has so easily entangled me. That I die to my purposes and my plans. Because when I die to everything that is about me, I can become then alive to everything that is about Jesus, to everything that Jesus desires for me, that everything that Jesus dreams for me that everything that Jesus wants for me and desires for me. Now you may be in one of those like big plan moments of your life where you're experiencing the thing that like you always thought you wanted to do, that you always dreamt to do, and you're like there and you're like, I'm doing it. I love this. Lord, please don't call me to change. Don't call me to one of those like drop the fishing and follow you moments because I don't want to go. Listen, first of all, I understand. I've been there, right? Um, but I also want I want you to understand that um, sometimes that sometimes we feel or we believe like the only way that God really disup- disrupts our plans in life is to turn us 180 degrees and send us in a completely different direction than the thing that we're doing. Like, oh, if God's going to call me to change, he's going to call me to change in massive ways that I can't, that I probably won't ever recover from or that are so completely different that I don't know if I can take that Indiana Jones step with. But much of the time, listen, much of the time, the way that God disrupts our plans is to call us out of a place that we won't move from that is relatively small, but is having a great impact on our lives. It's not always the 180-degree change that is called for transformation. Sometimes it may be right where you are, right in the environment that you're at, but God may disrupt your plan to like, progressively and forever deny and bury the hurt and pain that you're experiencing because of what's happened to you. Like I got this, pla- I got these things happen to me. 
and they've caused a lot of trauma in my life and a lot of pain in my life. And my plan here is to, okay, just bury it and shove it so far down into the catacombs of my life that it can't ever get to the surface. And it can't ever do the damage that, that I know that it could do if I let it out, right? And sometimes the change that God calls us to or the disruption of plans that God is, is, is doing in our lives is about saying, all right, all of those things that you've wanted to keep shoved down into your life, we're going we're gonna to start bringing those up and we're going to bring healing to them and we're going to use the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the community of faith that is the church to walk you through those things with compassion and empathy and understanding so that you can get healing from the things that you think are inescapable for you. And maybe it's not a 180-degree change in your life, but maybe, maybe God may disrupt the plan that you have to hold on to all of the bitterness and all of the anger that you've stored up over the years because you're afraid of what forgiveness will require of you. It's easier to be angry, and it's easier to be bitter, and it's easier to hold on to the hurt. And so that's my plan. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just, just going to hold on to it. I'm going to use it when I need to use it, right? There are like weapons in life. I got all this pain. I got all this bitterness. I got all this anger. I got all this unforgiveness. I got this trail of broken relationships behind me. And what God is going to say, like, no, 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 no. I know it's been your plan to hold on to all of those things that are completely destroying the inside of you. But listen, I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan. Let me blow up the logjam of your life a little bit by opening up the beauty of what forgiveness can do to your soul. Might not be a 180 degree change, but God may disrupt your plans to perpetually fill your calendar with work, with hobbies, with sports, with general busyness and activity because you're scared. You're scared of connecting intimately with your loved ones. You're scared of being vulnerable with your spouse and your kids. You're scared of being present with them and it's easier to be stressed out over how busy you are rather than to sit in the unbusiness of intimate, close, vulnerable relationship. And so look, it's not always like God wants to say, hey, that dream job that you have, that you love, that you don't want to give up. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you change from that because that's what change is all about. That's what changing your plans really means. No, sometimes it's the things that are so, like what we think maybe in like really small little changes but have great impact where God is going to disrupt your plans to not change inwardly. To not seek, to not live in forgiveness, right? Not, to um, not pursue healing. To remain like judging your worth off the busyness of your calendar. God's going to change that. God doesn't always just blow up your life like we classically think of that. 
like it's like like maybe it's been told in stories or we've seen you know a caricature of it like well god just blows up your life and then everything is different well yes sometimes right yeah does that happen may might god call you in a 180 degree different direction yeah yeah he might right but my experience both in ministry and in life is this is that god calls us to things that we just don't want to change here plans that we've made to hold on to things here because that's actually where the biggest transformation in our life comes from. It's not like a, Oh, I was doing this and now I'm doing this. No, it's like I was holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness all my life. Now I'm like the biggest champion for reconciling relationships and seeking forgiveness and peace and all that I can do. And it's completely reoriented every single thing that I've ever done. Finally, and I want to, I'll end with this, is that Jesus, Jesus disrupts our plans to continually align ourselves with the values of the world and calls us to align ourselves with the values of the kingdom of heaven. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read, we're going to read one more little section of scripture from Matthew chapter 9. Okay? And this is when Jesus called, he, he he's called some disciples in chapter 4, right? Now he's calling another disciple in chapter 9, a disciple by the name of Matthew. Chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him, right? Similar, similar pattern. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Listen, like a little, a little like, peek behind the curtain. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, weren't asking Jesus' disciple this question because they were curious about just like, hey, why does Jesus have all these really cool friends? It wasn't like a question of curiosity. It was a question, it was like a rhetorical question of judgment. Like, hey, does this guy that you've committed your life to follow understand those people that he's eating with? I don't think he really understands those people because if he understood those people, he would not choose to sit at a table and enjoy a meal with them. They were espousing, right, this cultural and even pseudo-religious, for them at least, value that there were undesirables and that there were desirables. There were people that you ate with and there were people that you completely avoided at all costs. Jesus, being aware or hearing that this is going on, addresses it, right, by saying, hey, look, those that follow me align themselves with a different core of values than you, the world, 
align yourself with. And that's this in Matthew chapter, the, the, rest, of the, um, the rest of the section here, verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus is a teaching moment for his disciples, is a, is a moment of admonishment for those who have like kind of let the cat out of the bag about what their actual values are, right? To say, hey, look, if there is anyone, if there is anyone that those who follow me eat with or commune with or are close with, it's going to be the people that the world always sees as the have-nots or the nots. Or the what Jesus does here is Jesus disrupts Jesus disrupts the values of the world and replaces them with the values of heaven. Now, this is not this is not um I'm going to come down front here. This is not different than really the whole the whole um like trajectory of Jesus ministry and life. Um, cuz we see in scripture all the time and we've used this we use this phrase here before is that Jesus um Jesus kind of takes the everything that the he takes the economy of the world and he flips it upside down like flips it on its head right when he says things like if you want to be rich you should be what poor right if you want to be um if you want to be exalted then you should humble yourself right um that the first will actually be the what the last so there's this idea right that the values that the world has espoused are somewhat opposite than the values that 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 heaven espouses that Jesus espouses that is to use a really bad pun that is baked right into um come on that was good it's bread it was it's baked right into it Never mind. I'll try again next time. Yeah, I'll humble myself, right? Uh, the idea that God's economy is so terrifically different than the world's is baked right into the gospel account itself. What was so difficult for early um, early Jews and people in the Roman Empire to grasp on following Jesus after he was um, after he was crucified was how could I possibly follow a God who allowed himself to be killed? It's a good question, right? It's a good question if we use only the values of the world to to like determine what what love is and who God is 
when we come um when we come to the table when we come to the communion table we come not to celebrate necessarily according to the world's values of like this triumphant military militarily powerful king and god who rules over his entire kingdom with kind of like an iron scepter decreeing what will be at all times but we come to the table and in faith to a savior and to a god who in humility and who in surrender offered himself in sacrifice for a punishment that was due us we come not to a king who said hey your punishment and your consequences are yours and yours alone but one who said i will wear the weight of the consequences so that by faith and in me by belief in me those who those who express faith will come to no life when we come to the table we come celebrating that on the night that Jesus was betrayed in an upper room, he took a loaf of bread and he broke that bread, gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the bread, and then he gave the bread to his disciples. And he said, I want you to take and eat of this, all of you. This is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Jesus took a cup and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the cup. Then he gave the cup to his disciples. He said, take and drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood, which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it in remembrance of me. Jesus used two symbols that would have been extraordinarily common on any table, virtually in any meal on that night to express a deeply spiritual reality that it still has some mystery wrapped up into it. That he was offering himself before the Holy Father God as a sacrifice that his body might be broken, that his blood may be shed, that all who come to faith in him by his grace would receive the same eternal life that would be expressed on Easter, when we come forward and we celebrate, we come forward in, in, in faith that the gift that is offered to us in Jesus Christ is perfectly and fully sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's in itself an expression and, re- and, and reception of that gift. When we come forward, we're, we're, we're saying to Jesus, I, I want to receive the gift of your forgiveness this morning. I want to receive what you have to offer me. And I will tell you this, like, you don't need to come up to this table this morning and, and receive communion. Like, it is completely up to you. There's no, there's no pressure this morning. What you also don't need to do is feel as if like, wow, man, I better like 110% theologically understand every little nook and cranny of, um, of sacramental theology because if I don't come up and do it right, 
then it's going to be wasted. If I don't come up and get it right, if I don't fully understand it, if I can't explain it to every single person, then, man, it's not going to be good. Um, I'm going to tell you that. I'm gonna, let me tell you this. We can all come to agreement, right? That the symbols of bread and cup are representative of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And that we receive them by faith. Um, I guess I'll speak from my I'll speak from from my perspective. Is that even as a even as a man with almost two decades as a pastor now and um, a couple different degrees in theology, I still come to this table and I'm like, Lord, I don't know exactly what you're doing with these things. I don't know how this. I don't know. Ex- I don't know that I know that I know that I know that I know why this makes a difference. But what I do know that I know that I know that I know is that in the mystery of your Holy Spirit, you are at work by faith in these things that you've given to me. And so I come forward in faith that what I don't understand about it intellectually will be witnessed in my heart and my spirit by an affirmation of love for me. And I will, Lord, every single time come anticipating the same thing, that Jesus offers himself for my forgiveness. And as much as I need it, I will come to receive it. Whether I understand the deep theological intricacies of it or not, Jesus makes himself available to you whether you have a degree in theology or not. Jesus makes himself available. Jesus makes forgiveness available to small children whether they understand or not. And what we celebrate here is the most tangible expression of the offer of forgiveness that the church has. And so, whether you find yourself in a place of being like, man, this is my first day in church and this is all a lot. (laughs) Or you're once again standing before the holiness of God asking Him for forgiveness. You are welcome to this table. You are welcome to come and receive communion. Your children are welcome to come and receive communion. If you desire communion with Jesus, through what he has done and offered to you, right? Then this table is open. We receive communion uh, here um, through a method of, it's called intinction. You can come up to the center aisle. You're going to rip off a piece of the bread. You can dip it in the cup. You can take communion right there at that moment, that, at that time. You don't have to wait. If you would like to stay up and pray at either of the kneelers, you're welcome to do that. Or you may return to your seat just go through the outside aisle, okay? Um, one thing that I didn't mention at the beginning was that this we have this um, pile of bracelets here. There are all various sizes in here for people of various size hands. Uh, I broke three trying to get one on, so I finally found the right size. Um, but this is one more one more symbol that's been um, that that we want to offer to you during this season, during the Lenten season. That you can that you can wear as a symbol and reminder of the message of John the Baptist, which we read about on Matthew 
or on uh, Ash Wednesday. And uh, the Bible says that, that John was a, a simple man who wore hair, clothes of camel's hair and then a leather belt around his waist, right? And he came preaching and proclaiming a message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven was near. Repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is, it was a message of repentance. And so this, um, this Lenten series, or season, we wanted to give you like something that you could wear on your wrist to be reminded every day that repentance is necessary in order to come to Jesus. That repentance is necessary. We can't forget that. And so um, uh, you would like to take one of these like just very simple leather bracelets throughout the season as a reminder, an intentional reminder of what God is doing in your heart. You can grab one of those on your way up.